Hey everybody, welcome back to Cosmic Soup. I am excited to have you here today because we're going to talk about something that is sure to hit more than a few hot buttons, and it's a topic that comes up almost daily here at the Third Third Mothership and Culinary Coach HQ. I am of course referring to the eternal debate between contracted dining and self-operation. And joining us today is a very special guest. He brings an extensive long-term background in senior living, specifically with contracted dining. And he's going to share some much-needed insight on what to look out for when considering which route to take with your dining operation. So please welcome to Cosmic Soup, our new Vice President of Culinary Operations, Scott Daniels. Hey, Scott, thanks for joining me here in the soup today, and welcome to the Third Third and Culinary Coach teams. We are absolutely stoked to have you here. Well, Mike, thanks. And I can't tell you how much or uh, how excited I am to join the Third Third team. It's uh going to be an adventure yeah <laughs> every day is definitely an adventure uh, that is for sure so before we get kind of rolling into the meat and potatoes about what you're uh what you're all about here let's get a little bit of background on you so i know kind of where you came from and what some of your uh, your history is but for our listeners shed a little light for us tell us about how you got involved in the senior living industry and what you've been doing for the last 20 something years Sure. Well, well, Mike, uh, I'm a certified executive chef and was in the uh, restaurant industry for, for many years. And then uh, one of my clients um, or customers became a client, came to me and asked me to, um, to join. They were using a contract provider, wanted me to run their food service in a BNI account, business and industry, a large, large credit card bank. So I did that. And I, I did that for a couple of years. And then uh, the company that I worked for came to me and asked me to provide some uh, culinary support for their senior living segment, of which I knew nothing about. Um, so, of course, I jumped in the pool, uh, took on the challenge, and, and I'll tell you, the first six months was a little bit scary because I didn't know the lingo. I didn't know the environment. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't know aging individuals that well other than my immediate family members. So it was a, it was a jump of faith, and um, 25 years later, I'm still in the senior living market. Um, <laughs> what I... What I've done for the past 25 years in senior living, uh, for the longest time, I was director of culinary for, you know, the contract company that I worked for, one of the big three in the country. Uh, I morphed over and, and became a district manager overseeing a large portfolio of senior living accounts, uh, primarily uh, continuing care retirement communities, some assisted and skilled nursing facilities along the way. Um, and then I was approached by Third Third. and. Uh, made the jump to the opposite side of the fence, so to say. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a, a crazy set of circumstances that that whole thing uh, came about. But what we are interested in exploring with you today is, of course, the, um, I guess, the mythos of the food contracting side of the business. Now, as, as we all know, uh, food contractors provide a very large uh, number of services to the industry, and there's pluses and minuses. And as you've been made aware, a lot of what we end up doing at Third Third is kind of um, talking with customers who may not be happy with kind of where where their uh, I guess where their business has gone in relation to having contractors control so many elements of their business. So for those that aren't a hundred percent aware, can you just kind of give us a quick breakdown? You know, what is the, the main role of a food contractor and why are they so initially appealing? You know, what makes people want to choose a, a contractor say versus self-operating or at least just controlling their own food service program? 
Sure. That, that's a great question, Mike. I think there's a couple reasons. One, the first reason is when a new uh, uh, CEO or executive director you know, goes into an, a community uh, and there's already a contracted food service there, they oftentimes just you know, stay the course. There's no need to change. I, you know, that's the way it's always been. So therefore, we shouldn't change it. Um, but what I find is the biggest uh, reason that communities go to a food contractor is there's typically some major problems within the dining department. And, and that can be lack of management, overturn of management, you know, financial driven problems, high food costs, low resident participation in, in meal plans and programs. Um, you know, it can be a wide array. It can it, any number of things. So I think they look at contract companies as like going to the doctor. The doctor comes in with a big bag of tools and resources and fixes the problem and, and makes them healthy again. It makes the department healthy again. And, you know, they come in and they do, they have a lot of resources. They have a lot of, of tools that can help the account. But what I think happens is just because they have tools and resources, and this is all the contract companies, doesn't mean they're going to be utilized in the account once you partner with them. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, any community with or without a contract partner is only as good as the team uh, or the boots on the ground at, at their community. Yeah, I, I've I've got that perception several times uh, at the places I've been in where the contractors are viewed as you're just going to save the day like a magical food superhero swooping in and and fixing all of your problems. Um, but the reality is there still has to be work involved and communication between the contractors and then the uh i guess we'll call them the the onboard regular staff and that's kind of where some of that starts to fall apart right you know it is it's kind of funny i would oftentimes get a call from a community that that we had partnered with when i was in the contract world that they would have a problem and it could be a staffing problem as, as everybody's facing today and and they would call and say hey hey listen you're, you're our contract provider when does your magic school bus show up with all the all the employees that we need and and that's just it Contractors don't have a magic wand. Um, they don't have the answers to the questions. They have a lot of tools and resources, but you know, it just doesn't always stick. It's like paint paint on a wall. Just because you have it doesn't mean it's gonna it's gonna take hold. Again, you've got to be there driving the program. And every I will tell you, I've been in many many CCRCs, you know, around the country, and they're all operated differently. Good, good, better, and different. They're all uniquely different one from another, and and not one tool uh, will fit all of them. It's it's no different than anything else we deal with in society. I could I could build tools that are great for one community, and you take them to the next community, and they could they could fail, fall flat on their face. So you've got to be flexible. You got to have dexterity to to make things happen that are going to you know benefit uh, any community. And you know, yeah, absolutely. And another thing that I seem to have noticed, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe my observation is misguided, but I have seen or perceived that I have seen instances where maybe some of the higher level management, the executive team, or maybe some of the, the head dining department people just either don't have the knowledge of what it takes to run a dining apartment, or they're not comfortable with it, or they just don't want to do it. So they think, I will just have these people do it, and then I don't have to worry about it. Well, Mike, you really kind of hit the nail on the head. What I often found is, is that leadership in the C-suite of a retirement community oftentimes will bring in a contract provider 
because they don't want to have anything to do with the dietary department. And as we all know, the dietary department's just not a dining room serving three meals a day. There's a lot of attributes. Right. There's all there's there's the different levels, a continuum of care. Um, you know, there's catering, there's special functions, there's marketing, and, and they just don't want to be involved in that. They at least they think they don't want to be involved in that, so they bring in a contractor. I think that's the worst thing anybody in leadership at a community can do is is take the back seat to one of the, the biggest departments. In, in their community, when I say biggest departments, oftentimes the financial component of the departments, typically in one of their top three um, highest dollar amounts on, on their budget for the overall community, um, food touches every resident in a community, um, and not everything in a community does that. And, and, and from a marketing standpoint, always one of the top three questions a potential new resident asks questions about is the dining department, is the meal program, is, 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 you know, that's important, you know, to them as a driver of a decision-making process of moving into a community. And I think that's the biggest mistake, you know, the C-suite in a community can do is, is not be involved, even if they have a contract company, even if they've made that decision. And, and let's be real, contract companies aren't all terrible. They do have some good business. There is a, a need for them in some cases. Um, but it's not the answer to every every problem out there. I, I really think that that leadership within a community, even if they're contracted, needs to be intimately involved in the dietary department. They should be walking through the kitchens, the dining rooms, you know, on a regular basis. They should know all the staff. Um, their dining manager should be seated at their leadership table at the at the management group. They should be a voice, you know, for the overall community as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, food is such a crucial part. And, and I think sometimes then what ends up happening is now that some of the leadership is so hands off, the accountability factor is gone. The quality, if it was there to begin with, really starts to slip uh, downhill. And that's where a lot of problems start arising. And as you and I have talked about, um, you know, sometimes once people get locked into that contract, a lot of issues kind of start to pop up, you know, hidden costs or or maybe other little uh, contractual stipulations that maybe people didn't see that sneak up on you. So well, now that you're on the other side of, of the screen, you know, what are some of those insights you can provide? You know, what are some of those hidden uh, line items that, that do tend to sneak up on people? Sure. Well, I think the first thing with a contract company is when they do partner with any community is they immediately start to create a barrier to exit. So they do everything possible to make it impossible, or at least from a thought process impossible from a, from a C-suite or a client to then break away from a contract. So, so they come in with, with the offer of, we can solve all your problems. There's not a, we have an answer to every problem you have. We have a solution. So that's exciting. That's, 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 you know, wow, I can bring them in and, and I can, you know, take that off my plate. I don't have to deal with that anymore. So, so then once they're in the door, you know, number one, things don't happen as fast as any contractor says it's going to happen. So uh, the expectation is that coming in that my problems are going to be fixed, you know, within a month. That's never the case. Sometimes it's six months, it's a year, it's never, it just doesn't, it doesn't go the way it's supposed to go. So th then you know, when the provider provides the first monthly bill, they're sticker shocked because it's not necessarily what the contract said. There's always 
you know, hidden costs, uh, hidden expenses that, that might or might not be fully hidden, but if you didn't read the contract page to page and you didn't understand it or get answers to questions, you, you're then stuck with it once you sign it. Now, I say you're stuck with it. You're not. Every contract from a provider has, has an out clause or a termination clause. You need to know that, um, what that clause is. It could be 30, 60, 90 days. It could be, you know, without cause. It could be with cause. It could be with, uh, you know, a, a repair clause, meaning if something's broken, we have X amount of time to, to correct it. So here, here's an area where there's some hidden costs. And I say hidden doesn't mean they're, they're, the contractors are lying to you. They're just costs that are buried in different line items that you don't necessarily always see. So, so many of your providers will want to go full service, meaning that all the hourly staff uh, are on their payroll. Uh, typically, it's managers. The department heads are on the contractor's payroll, but they really would like to get your hourly staff on as well. Because what they do is they charge you a greater tax and benefit percentage than you're paying at that community. So if you're the CEO of a community and your tax and benefits percentage is, let's say, 25%, you then put all those employees over on the contractor side, that tax and benefit percent, I've seen it as high as 35, 36%. Dang. That's all that that's all hidden profit for the contract company, because I will guarantee you that their tax and benefit rates are lower than most communities' tax, just because of volume. They're also large. They're large corporations. They drive discount by volume. So that's a huge profit center for them. It's also an additional charge for you, the operator, because whatever the difference is by percentages, you're now paying that each month on your monthly bill. Um, then there's purchasing. And oftentimes a contractor will come in and state that, you know, they have purchasing power. We drive purchasing, you know, volume so we get a better price. They might get a little better price on some items, but where the where the better price is coming is behind the scenes going back to your provider, um, your contract provider, through their purchasing department as, as you know, additional profit. So what I mean by that is if you buy a million dollars worth of food at your community a year, they might make six to eight percent of that sale back to them. You, the client, never see that. That's just a discount to them. Now, and they're getting that because of the volume. All the contract companies buy so much food, you know, annually that they drive a better price. It's supply and demand. It's no different than any anything else in the world. But you're not getting that discount. They are. So they're making oftentimes as much, if not more money uh, to the bottom line off of purchasing than they are charging you a fee. They might give you a reduced fee to manage your business. And you think that's great. They're making a lot more money than the fee they're charging you, tax and benefits, um, the purchasing dollars. Also, there's a lot of hidden expense in your budget. Take Go through your budget that was provided by your contractor. There's a lot of what I'll call miscellaneous expenses, <laughs> um, uh, you know, that, that, that can encompass everything. There's oftentimes travel built in. You're paying for that whether you use it or not. Um, and, uh, you know, and then you're paying for support. Well, to me, if you contract a company that promises you they have all the tools and resources and support, that's great. But you end up paying for that. So if you need somebody to come in and help with a program, um, might be you know changing your your memory support program around. 
you're going to pay for that person to come in. It's not part of the budget or the contract that you, you sign. So there's a lot of areas where there's a lot of money being made by, by the contractors. And they're, they're all the same in that regard, maybe a percentage or two off, up or down. Um, so I'm not picking on any individual contractor, but, but they all do the same thing. That's a standard business practice for them. Mm -hmm. And you hit on something that's close to my heart and an issue that I have seen uh, and heard brought up many times, which is speaking of purchasing and volume and things like that, a lot of times the contractors are dictating where all of your food comes from. They are in charge of the product selection, which in most cases means that you as a community don't have the ability to source your own products. And that that is the detractor for a couple of reasons. Number one, from a cost competitive standpoint, but also it negates the ability to be able to select, say, local vendors, local artisans, farmers market stuff, and um, just any any other number of factors that gives you that truly creative control over how much your stuff is going to cost and where it's going to come from. That's correct, Mike. Um, everybody, let's be honest, everybody's going to use a broadline vendor. Sure. You know, your Cisco's of the world, your U.S. Foods, your Gordon's, your PFG's. But with the contractors is they hard spec just about every product that they have. When I say hard spec the product, they're hard specking the vendor as well. So, you know, in any geography, you're going to have typically a bread vendor, a, a single bread vendor um, that you have to buy all your bread from. Even though you might like bread from a, a local artisan or a local bakery or even just, you know, somebody closer that, that the residents really have a fond memory of that they desire, and you just don't have access to that. You're not, you know, the purchasing is blocked. It's what they call lockdown. Um, you know, your meat company, you, you, you're going to have to buy everything from one vendor and it might not be a vendor that's close to you. They might be a couple hundred miles away, but that's the contracted vendor. Um, and the reason they're contracted, there's a couple reasons. The first is finance. It's driving finance. The more business they drive to one vendor, the more money the contractor makes. Um, it's also tied to safety. And, you know, that's always a concern because you have to be careful buying from, from any mom and pop on the street, you know, that, and any community should do their due diligence to make sure they're, they're buying from a reputable you know, reputable vendor that's, that's handling food in a safe manner, because it's, it's be honest, the residents, you know, it's a susceptible group that we've got to make sure that they, they stay healthy, but we can't make every decision based on dollars and cents. And that's what typically um, the big contract companies do. It's, it's strictly, you, you, this is what you get. You know, when you open up an account and you go through purchasing and they send you the list of your vendors, Here, here's your vendor for ice cream. Here's your vendor for, for bread, here's your vendor for grocery, here's your produce vendor, and the operator, um, the resident, the administrator really have no say in that. They, that's You sign the contract, we're managing your business, you get what we want. And then it even gets a little more hard spec than that. So uh, let's say you're using chicken, um, chicken breast A, just a hypothetical, any brand chicken, but all your residents like chicken breast B. It really doesn't matter what your residents want at that point because the hard spec is chicken breast A and that's what they're going to get. So, you know, the customer almost loses the impact of involvement of what they're getting. Now, I understand in a, in a retirement community, you can't give every resident a different spec. That's just not realistic. Right. But you've got to have some choices or be able to make some choices. If, if the majority of the residents like a certain product or they like – a certain bread. They like, you know, Mrs. John's bread, which is baked in the, in the town where the community is. And that's what everybody loves for years. You know, 
you should be able to get that product for them as long as, you know, it's a safe vendor, you know, that they're regulated and all the, all the, the legalities. But it's very hard to tell a resident you can't have what you want and it's right down the street and it's available, oftentimes cheaper and better quality, but you can't get it because it's not the spec of the contract company, which is, it's very disheartening. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh that that's a that's an issue that you know you and I both being chefs the the one thing that that we are kind of notorious for is being kind of overlords of food selection right we want to pick the eclectic stuff or the cool stuff or the creative stuff and you know when you look at today's modern iteration of senior living dining venues the trend is shifting towards more modern things. You know, people are watching the food networks. They're watching all these cool documentaries. Home chefs are a thing. People want higher quality and they want to support their local stuff or have the whole kind of a farm to table kind of vibe. And if, if the people that are, you know, kind of running the dining operation don't really consider that as a factor, then that's just an entire element that, uh, that residents lose out on. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny. I, I had a few accounts that had very large resident run gardens. And, and I say gardens, they weren't gardens. They were mini farms oh, yeah. and they produced and they produced phenomenal produce and, and, and wanted to serve it in the community free. Like here it is. It's free. Use it. And, and the company I worked for wouldn't allow it unless they met, you know, set criteria which was almost impossible to meet. I mean, it was, again, a barrier to, to exit, a barrier to use, you know, and, and here all these residents, they grew all this great produce, you know, and they wanted to share it with the rest of the residents because it was the best product of season, local, picked fresh. Um, you know, the, the, the footprint, the footprint was literally, you know, 200 yards, 300 yards away from the kitchen it was being produced in. And, and it just, it was almost made impossible to use um, without jumping through, through hoops. And, and I think most people want to use fresh and local. That's all you hear today is fresh and local. I mean, every town has a farmer's market in it now. Even cities have farmer's market with fresh produce. And, and who doesn't want, I mean, I, I, my wife and I went out and picked fresh blackberries this past weekend, you know, and, and number one, the quality was amazing. The price, we, we paid $2.50 per quart for fresh, we picked blackberries, you know, you can't beat the price, but you can't beat the quality. And I think communities want that liberty and freedom to be able to do that when, when it's available to them in their own communities. Yeah, at least on a format for like running a special or something like that, maybe your entire operation is not going to be based around that. But just the Correct. ability to do it when it's right is a huge Correct. factor. So, you know, quality being an issue, selection being an issue, pricing being an issue, there's there's a ton of reasons, obviously, that that people might decide to uh, to go down the road of the contractor. Now, one of the things that I hear the most about um, because I've I've had to uh, consult uh, on on issues that have been brought to me, is how do we hold the contractors accountable? Whether or not it's because of a staffing issue, or whether or not they're just not delivering on the things that are being promised. Well, that's a good question, Mike. And what I what I often found through the years um, with with contractors and dealing with companies is, you know, I think the clients need to understand that that operation is still in their facility. It's their house, it's their building, it's their kitchen, their dining rooms, 
Um, it's their staff. Even if the staff are contracted payroll, it's still their staff. Now that, that creates challenges. You know, so what I think happens is if you call, if Mr. or Mrs. Administrator calls, you know, their contract company and says, hey, listen, you know, we're having struggles, you know, the food doesn't get out on time or they're always out of something or we have no staff. It can be any litany of things, you know, fix it, fix it. Well, that's easier said than done. It's easy to call, you know, the bat phone and think you're getting Batman and Robin on the other end that are going to fly <laughs> in and, and fix and fix the problem overnight. It's just not going to happen. It's no different than if you're a self-op and you have that problem you're not going to be able as an administrator to fix it overnight. It's not, you know, problems are problems. They happen, whether you're self-op or, or contracted, it's how you choose to fix them. Now, oftentimes if you're contracted, you'll think that, you know, that magic school bus, you know, I'll call the, the contract company and they're going to send in an army of people to fix my problem. Well, I'm going to be honest with you over the last 10 years, I think all the contract companies had big pools of extra managers and support people. We'll call them support teams that, that weren't necessarily, you know, assigned to a particular account. They were there and they floated around. Well, I will tell you that most of the contract companies have pretty much eliminated all of those positions, if not most, um, because of cost and overhead. And, you know, if you look around, everybody does, does more with less and it's no different with a contract company. So, you know, they might come in and, and sell you on, we have all these great tools and resources and people, but they really don't. They, you know, they don't have just people sitting on a bench waiting for that phone to go off and, and slotting down the fire pole and off to your account for a week or a month. Um, you know, it's just not, it's not reality. Now I'll tell you what reality is, is that when you're in your account, if you're the administrator, you need to be involved, whether you're contracted or not, you need to be more intimately involved in the dining operation. You should be walking the facility. You should be talking to your executive chef, your dining room managers, your hourly team members on a daily basis. When you go down in the morning, go down and get a cup of coffee and spend five minutes, you know, in the kitchen or, or in, in the coffee shop or any of the, the food outlets you have, get to have a better understanding um, of them, have a pulse of the department, and that way you'll know if there's a potential problem coming, you'll hear about it. Oftentimes with a contract company, they try to hide as much negative or problem from the client as possible, which is never a good thing. You know, transparency to me always works. And sometimes they do that, but, but oftentimes they try to hide and fix. Or a big, a big industry term for contract companies is we'll just beg for forgiveness. So if we're over budget, <laughs> you right. know, we'll, we'll, we'll have excuses and we'll say we'll do better next month. Um, and you know, whether that works or not, that's a different story, but, but it's easy once they're in the door, it's easier to beg forgiveness than it is to, to beg, to get a contract signed. Yeah. So all that being said, let's say that you're in the midst of a contract, right? And as an operator, you decide to go down the road to switch to self operation. What should people prepare, uh, be prepared for in order to do that? Um, you know, what, what does that process look like? Sure. Well, I think the first thing you have to do is you have to know, um, and fully understand the contract that you signed with your contract provider. Um, you need to have your, um, legal department. I hate to say legal department, but it's a contract. So you need to make sure your legal department, you know, has a full understanding as well. And, and, and is explained to the team. I, I think then if you, if you want to go down the road, 
of moving away from contract, you, you have to have your leadership team, you know, on board, meet, meeting with each other. Somebody's got to own it. Um, and the CEO of, of every community can't be the person that owns all the, you know, all the products and all the changes. So sure. somebody's got to own it. And that person that's got to own it's got to want to own it because if it's just forced on somebody that's going to make it a challenge, typically with a contract company, um, there is a direct point of contact within a community that's kind of the client or the client liaison, the person that the contract company, quote unquote, reports to. Um, and that's different individuals at different communities. So you need to you know, make sure that that person is, is the person that you want to run that department when you move over to, to self-op. Now, you need to create a timeline. Um, depending on what your out clause is, typically they're 30, 60, or 90 days. Sometimes there is a clause in there that if it's, it's a problem, that the contract company has a period of time to correct the problem. So if you go to them and say, you know, we want to get out of the contract because your food cost is consistently 10% above budget. Uh, the, depending on the contract, they might have a clause that says they have 30, 60, or 90 days to correct that problem. Um, and working with you. So you just need to understand uh, what your out clause is. You need to then set a timeline for that. So if you have a 90-day out clause, which is three months, you want to do at least six to nine months um, above and beyond that. And I would say anything. If it's 30 days, six to nine months, again, on, on top of that. And, and that seems like a long time, but you, you think you have to build a team. So oftentimes your managers typically always report or are employees of your contract company. Um, that contract clearly states in the, I don't know one that hasn't said it, but they're not allowed to stay. So even if that, let's say you loved your chef or you loved your dining room manager, or your department manager, they would not be able to stay once you you cancel the contract. That's that's again that's one of those barriers to exit. Yeah, no now, com will, no compete clauses are a, are a big thing for sure. Correct. But what I will tell you, if if you have a contractor and and your department is broken and and, and it can be broken in, in multiple ways, could be financial, could be staffing, um, HR, labor, could be anything. I always, it, it always concerns me when somebody says, well, I want to get rid of the contract company, but I want to keep all the managers. Well, if you have to remember, you're only as good as the people on the ground, and that goes the same with the contract company. So if, if the contract is broken, meaning they're not operating to, to the agreed upon contract, I'm not sure why most of you would, would want to keep that same staff that was not running it properly. So, <laughs> and again, I'm not putting, I'm not putting names on faces, but what I'm saying is, you know, maybe it's time that you're you're ready to move away from contract. Maybe it's time that you also need to re rethink who's running your department and maybe retool that. Um, what I often find, and, and this is this is huge, is I often find that even in self ops, current self ops, the managers of the dining department, the the department head, the executive chef, you know, healthcare manager, assisted living manager, whatever TO or org chart they are using. Are off those individuals, at least the department head, isn't even on the management team for the community. You need to make sure you're hiring somebody that can fit on the management team of your entire community. They're a department head. You have a department head meeting. They should be at that meeting like the other department heads in your community. Um, and I, I, what I often see is that the, the dietary team is underhired, meaning they're not hiring a high enough caliber 
individual for that position. So oftentimes the executive chef, chef is really probably a strong sous chef, but they're not ready to be an executive chef. But we might have gotten them a little bit less expensive. So we might have paid less. But but are you really paying less? To me, you get what you pay for. And if you pay somebody a little more and you get a more qualified individual, oftentimes that individual can save you money. So you're not really paying more. But I, I it's 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 a struggle. And I think you've got to start looking at, you know, how do you better position your department to be part of your community, not an external part of your community with the contract company? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a lot to consider, you know, and on top of, uh, you know, the timeline that you laid out six to nine months, I mean, it can be longer depending on, you know, how far, Absolutely. Down, how far down the rabbit hole you're, you're starting, um, you know, things to keep in mind as well. Like you, you might have to get new vendor contracts to go with it. You know, your supplier, your supply chain can, can be different and it takes a while to, to get that stuff set up. Um, well, as, and, and, and Mike, you want it, you want new suppliers, right? You want, I mean, because part of the problem is, is, you know, if purchasing was part of the challenge you had as a, as a contract where you can't get the product you want or the product your residents want, if you make the change to self-op and you keep all the same vendors, What's you're not point? really changing much. So so you want to be able – and I'm not saying if you're using one of the big three, you know, broadline, you know, vendors, the Cisco's, the U.S. Foods. I'm not saying you necessarily have to change away from them, but you want to you start using some more local regional vendors. Right. Um, you know, number, number one – the product is typically better and cheaper, but number two, a lot of the residents want to support local. I mean, that's a thing now. That's yeah. a big thing around the country is people want to support, you know, support local. They want to, you know, they're, they're anti big business or they're anti, you know, let's, let's go and, and support the farm down the street. Sometimes that farm might even be a little bit more expensive, but they're happy spending a little bit more because they're supporting local. Absolutely. And then, and then who's supporting that community year round when they're doing different fundraisers, oftentimes those local vendors. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. It, it's fantastic. Uh, you know, a place that, that we are working at, uh, you know, uh, on the East coast right now, they have very deep ties to their community and uh, they do a lot of, of partnerships and local events. And, and uh, I, I really applaud the way that they approach that. And they are in the process right now of, of converting to a self-op model. And of course, there's always going to be challenges and unforeseen things, but they're, they're taking on the challenge head on. And, and so far, I mean, the residents um, are applauding the, the direction that they're taking. And so uh, I, I think that's, that's great. I think that's pretty awesome. Sometimes you just have to rip the bandaid off, you know, <laughs> anytime, any, anytime you make change, whether you're, whether you're going away from a contractor, even sometimes if you're going to a contractor, there's going to be pain. Yeah. There's going to be some pain. And, and, you know, you have to look past the pain. I mean, we, you think when you learn how to ride a bike, you know, you're going to fall down, you're going to scuff your knee and it's going to hurt and you're going to cry. But, but what's a better outcome? Once you get past that, that hurdle, the horizon's always brighter. And, you know, I think, you know, moving away from a contractor, if that's right for for your community, where I've seen it happen is it, it's, it's been very successful and individuals are better because they're more involved with the community. The department is now again, part of the community where so oftentimes when it's contracted, everybody feels, and I say everybody, the residents, the staff, the staff and the dietary, they feel like they're two different entities. They yeah. feel like they're, you know, like they're coming into a country and they're, they're put in, you know, they're, they're over there. Well, they're from there. They're not, they're not part of us or they do an event like an employee appreciation. Well, they're not our employees. Right. You know, they're their employees. We're not. And, and, you know, that just sends a very um, 
negative morale throughout the community. And, and you want to, you want to tie, tie teams. I mean, it's all about the team today. And if you don't support the, the team and it's gotta be one team, it's not going to go well. Yeah. I mean, people are, people are leaving jobs for 10 cents an hour. And, you know, so it's gotten to the point where it's, it's become a penny game, but, but if people love where they work, they feel valued, they feel, you know, entrusted, you know, it's a good thing. And if you hire for desire, and I, and I always tell people in, the, in this, in this field, you've got to hire people that like being around elderly human beings, because that's what the job is. And it's so rewarding to work around, you know, the senior people, we're all going to be there hopefully one day. Hopefully we all make it to that point. You know, you have to have that love and desire to to be around seniors and, and making, making their day better, you know, every day by doing the little things. Yeah. I love that. Hire for desire. Um, I, I think we're going to end up seeing that phrase pop up quite a bit there, Scott. You just, uh, you gave us a sound bite. So, uh, <laughs> well, uh, clearly there's a lot to consider in the sense of, you know, contract versus not contract, you know, self-op, all that kind of stuff. Um, I am, of course, of the opinion that the more control that you have over your program, the better off you're going to be, provided that you, you know, have the right people to to help you make that happen. So if you were going to sum up, say, the top three benefits for why to self-op versus have a contractor, the top three for you. Sure. I think the top one is, is control. And I don't mean that in a negative way because oftentimes control is, is perceived as a negative. Um, but I think control, meaning you're, you're controlling your destiny. It's, it's, it's in your community. Um, it should be part of your community. You should you know, be intimately involved. And, it, and it's not just part of your community. It's a key driver of your community. I mean, a, truly a key driver. I'm biased. I think it's right up there, like probably one or two. Um, the industry says it's about number three, um, but I think you have to you have to take back that control. Number two, you got to understand the department. You got to be engaged in the department, with or without a contractor. All operators need to be more intimately engaged with the dietary department. Um, and, and three is is providing the residents with what they want and need and desire versus what someone else wants needs and desires. And I think that's a key, a key driver as well. I mean, we, oftentimes the customer is forgotten and it's driven by, you know, it's the tail wagging the dog, not the dog wagging the tail. Yeah. That's an all too common thing that uh, I think is kind of across the board right now for sure. So, well, uh, what would you say are, are any, any other observations, I guess, any other thoughts that, that, uh, that we didn't address that you feel like we need to cover today? You know, I, I think the, the big takeaway for me for, for communities and leadership in the C-suites and communities is, you know, ask yourself if you're currently contracted, why? Why, are you, why did you contract? And it might have been two years ago. It might have been 32 years ago. But, but ask the question of why and, and ask, ask your team um, because you might not know. It might have happened before um, you as a leader, you know, joined that, that group. And it just it is what it is. That's the way it always has been doesn't mean it's right. So ask the question why, um, ask, ask what, what true benefits are you getting out of that partnership? And, and if I don't mean benefits that the partner, the contract partners telling you they're giving you, make sure you can vet those benefits and that they're real and they do exist. Um, 
and, and then I guess the last thing I would I would say to to really dig deep on is is listen to your residents. I mean, are your residents happy? And I don't just mean like you know was the meatloaf last night good, um, <laughs> or or was the soup hot? Um, but find out, get the pulse of your residents, and, and, and that doesn't mean you know, going to food committee, because we all know that the food committees and resident councils sometimes are driven by a few and, and the voices of a few and not, not of the masses, but, but get a good understanding. And, you know, as, as an administrator or C-suite, the way you do that is you go out and you have dinner with them. You go sit down and, you know, spend time in the cafe, spend time in the dining room, you know, at meal times or schedule, you know, schedule meals, dining with the administrator, dining with the CEO and, and get a good cross section of of the pulse of your community and and whether or not they're they're truly happy with your 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 dining program. Yeah, man, that's absolutely great insight. So thank you very much for all of that. Now, because you are officially in the cult, we have to ask you a couple of the same questions that we ask everybody who comes on the oh show. Oh boy. Are you ready for this? This is a- I'm ready, I guess. Is, I guess, open the door. <laughs> this is about as high pressure as it gets. So, uh, okay, so we refer to these, of course, as the Cynthia questions in honor of uh, our illustrious leader, the pilot of our mothership. Um, so question number one, if you could create your own dream community and retire and live the rest of your life uh, in this dream place, what would it consist of? So what kind of amenities would it have? What would the design look like, the layout, all that good stuff? Tell us about wow. your fantasy community. Sure. Well, first of all, that community is going to be located on on a body of salt water, an ocean, a gulf, a bay. Um, ideally, the cottages uh, or apartments would, would be waterfront. Um, I could look out my window and see a dock with my boat. Um, at the end of it, so I could go enjoy fishing with uh, with friends and family. Um, but but I think more importantly about the community, I, I think it would have to be inclusive. It had to be welcoming, not stuffy, not stodgy. Um, for a long time, I'd go to I'd visit communities that that had that stuffiness, where if a new resident moved in, you know, it was almost like no, they're sitting over at that table, they can't join us. Right. I think you have to look. I want to I want to go and move into a community that's welcome. Um, that there's no filters on, everybody's there. Um, it's comfortable. Um, it's not stayed. It's not uniformed. When I say uniformed, I mean there's still communities out there. You have to wear a jacket into a dining room or or an independent dining room. Um, it's funny. I was in one not long ago. You know, if you had a walker or an assistive device, you weren't allowed in the independent dining room. What? You know, that was oh, and that was resident driven. That wasn't a community policy. That was resident driven. Um, because I, you know, and I asked the question, why would that even be in existence? And, and, and I was told that by a resident that, you know, most of the residents don't want to, on the independent side, don't want to see what's around the next turn, meaning they're eventually going to go into assisted living or, or skilled or need an assistive device, but they're just not ready to see that yet. And I just thought that was, wow. to me, that was shameful. I mean, you know, we, everybody should be welcome, uh, you know from from age from ability or, or non-ability to do different things so i want it to be welcome i want it to be relaxed um fun uh and I, and I want there to be lots of activity and lots of things to do to keep keep me as young as possible as long as possible yeah 
Yeah, that's. <laughs> but the water, but but being on the water is most important to me. Oh yeah, I well, you're a fisherman, so uh, you like to go yes. out there and and uh, how cool would that be in your community? You walk out on your dock and plop in your uh, your pole and pull up some fish and you know go cook that right there at your place. Uh, and, that'd be and pretty have, amazing. And have, the, have 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 the chef cook it up for myself and my friends. Yeah, that'd be great. I assume you'd probably also have a couple of smokers floating around somewhere. And uh... well, yeah, there 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 be there be there be some food on the smoke. And some, yeah, yeah, that's a good point, Mike. They, they'd have to let me have a smoker on my on my deck or in my backyard. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, Scott is uh, uh, quite the accomplished uh, um, meat smoker. Uh, so yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. Um, well, you know, we could chat all day about all the uh, the awesome stuff that you'd have at your community, but let's move on to the final chapter here. So. We've talked about a lot of things that uh, that philosophically could happen and things that we should approach, but let's talk about on the immediate basis. What are three things a senior living operator could do right now, today, right this very second, that would have an immediate positive impact on the lives of the residents? Well, you know, Mike, that's a good question, and 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 I think I answered part of this in an earlier question. At least it's it's going to be a transition. I, I think one is. The operators need to gain a better understanding of the residents and their community yeah. and their surrounding community, not just the, the immediate community, but the surrounding community and, and ge geographies where they're pulling residents from, where, where new residents are moving from, because they're not always local, you know, but they, they need to have a better understanding. And, and I think to do that, you have to come out of, of you know the C-suite, meaning you got to come out of the the office section of the building and spend time in the in the resident living section of the building, you know, be present. Um, I was at one community where the the CEO and, and it wasn't just the CEO; he started it, but then you know it's a concept that a lot of large corporations are doing. They're doing away with like the CEO office and the big offices, and they're opening up offices. So they had it in the lobby area they had kind of an area where where leadership had to work not all leadership you know obviously there's meetings and things going on but they had to work and have an office or a desk out in the open where where they could be approached without barrier no no receptionist no closed doors to get you know to get to mr or mrs leader of the community and and i was i was pretty impressed with that because it really kind of made that open door policy, quote unquote, a true open door policy where there was no barrier to get to, to get to that individual or individuals and, and have open conversation. And, and I think what that, what I saw at this community is, is that a lot of the little problems never became big problems because it was an open line of communication. So I think getting to know and understand your, your residents and potential residents, but, but being accessible openly to those individuals to speak to, and, and be spoken to freely without having filters on where people are, I'm afraid to tell the CEO we're having a problem here, you know, or, or that doesn't happen. I think you do that. Number two, and I did use this before in a previous answer, is leadership of all departments, not just the CEO, but if it's director of nursing um, in the skilled side or assisted side, break bread and dine with your residents. And, and it doesn't have to be formal. It can be just show up at dinner time one night and, and ask a group of residents if you can join them for dinner. Um, eat the same food they're eating, even if it's in healthcare, even if it's a modified diet. Sit down and break bread with, with the individuals in the different dining venues 
Um, show them that you're human. Um, show them that, that you care about what they see, think, and experience, uh, and that you're willing to make changes based on, on, on what you, you observe and find out. And I guess number three, listen, and it really kind of ties into the first two, but, but listen, be open-minded. Don't be afraid to change. Um, again, change can hurt sometimes, but, but the bigger payoff can be making that change to make your, your community, you know, a bigger and better and more welcoming environment. Yeah, man, those are fantastic suggestions. And for the record, I would absolutely love to see uh, somebody from the C-suite walk into, you know, uh, a, a skilled nursing area and, and, and have a textured meal one day, you know, just watch the operation, you know, ha see what, see what's happening, take a, you know, take a taste of it and, and hang out with some people that are, you know, maybe not those that you see on a regular basis and, and watch how that side of the operation works as well. Um, I'm a huge proponent of, getting out and interacting with all levels of the dining department. And, that, and I mean, that goes back to restaurants too, dude, right? You and I come from the restaurant business. It's like, how often do you have a poor general manager who just sits in the office all day and crunches numbers and sits behind a computer, but a great general manager will go out there and touch all those tables or a chef will get out from, you know, behind, um, you know, the pass bar and walk out there and, you know, you sit down and have a beer with somebody. Um, it, it changes the entire dynamic and it sure uh, does. It, it makes, it, it gives a human face to everything because everybody knows you're there to manage an operation right that's not a that, that's not a surprise but what happens when you you know change that and and become now a part of that community officially um, and that's across cultures and across everything you know food uh, is one of the things that brings people together in an entire dining operation so that's what we always say man come to the table it's uh it, it'll it'll change everything absolutely cool. it's Food, food's, the, food's the answer to a lot of problems in, in, in society. You just don't realize it yet. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the amazing insight of our new uh, vice president of culinary and operations, Scott Daniels. Scott, thank you so much for joining me today here on Cosmic Soup and uh, honored to have you as one of the now key ingredients in the formula. Appreciate you hanging out today, man. Hey, thank you very much. It's been great and uh, come back anytime. Right on. Well, how about that, folks? Is that what you'd call food for thought? I think so. <laughs> I know, I know, I can feel you all facepalming right now. Anywho, if you'd like more insight into contract dining or tips on self-operating, feel free to send us an email to CosmicSoup at 3rd3rd.com and we'll be sure to get back to you. So thanks again for tuning in and we'll talk to you soon on Cosmic Soup.